<laughs> Which means well, that we're stairs, just... Nor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this happens when it's page 157 in my... Well, before you talk about Interzone, which is this realm that um, he created, the the international zone in Tangier was this outgrowth, I think, of World War II, where you had a bunch of different countries all occupying a similar space, but there was no dominant country, and so it created a really interesting space for commerce for everyone involved. Mm. Yeah, similar to Casablanca, um, and yeah. even even similar to... Uh, the Third Man, do you know that movie? Like yeah. Orson Welles movie? Like that that kind of space, you know? Um, I watched Casablanca this summer, by the way, while I was reading this. And so that's a whole other uh, thing there. But yeah, there was outlaws. You mentioned running from the law. People would go to Tangier to do illegal acts like Foucault and these other sexual acts. But they, it was a place of kind of um, a frontier, really. And so who wouldn't, I, I was reading about it, I was like, fuck, I want to go to Tangier, you know, <laughs> I mean, just to have the sense of freedom in the air that that must have, uh, you know, how that must have felt. But it only lasted for a, a period of time, and then at some point, um, it changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Temporary then, autonomous zone. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But what, tell us about Interzone and the parties and... Yeah, so he has this one section on the uh, the parties of Inner Zone. He kind of refers to it um, before bits and pieces before this comes in, but then he's really explicit. This is my book; it's around one sixty-two, and there's there are four there are four main parties, um, but of those four, it's like the three. There's three that are kind of the top um, controlling parties, and then this this fourth that. In a way, it tries to subvert the other three. Um, so he, he basically goes down through the list. So the first one is the uh, liquefaction party. And uh, he says he defines the liquefaction party. Like the idea of liquefaction is um, it involves the eventual merging of everyone into one man by protoplasmic absorption. And so that's their means of control is uh, everything sort of merges like with protoplasm, the, the, the basic life energy jism, and it becomes like one, one, one person. And that's, that's their sort of, uh, means or ends of control. And, uh, but it's the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. It, in, they are more kind of a, a liberal party though, which is interesting. Right. And, uh, um, so they're into any kind of perversion out there, you know, it's like a full on, Kind of psychedelic sexualized party into sadomasochism um but the thing about it is is most of the people who get involved in the liquefaction party uh, are dupes he, he calls them dupes because eventually it's only going to be one guy inside the party that everybody merges into and so all the other ones will sort of die away um uh and nobody knows until that nobody knows until the final absorption uh who, who's going to be that one guy um, so, so that's, uh, but at least they know, they they know what the score is. They know what it's about, you know, like they know that's the end of it. And then, uh, the second party is, are the, the senders and the senders, um, their whole thing is, is a kind of telepathy, which is a one way telepathy. And so basically it's, it's, it's 
they talk about it first of sending messages via transmitter into everyone's brain, right? Um, but eventually that just becomes post-technological, I guess, this post-technological sense uh, of telepathy. But it's always only one way. So it's it's it eventually comes to the point where it's, again, it's just one person, one sender, because it has to, the message has to be very clear. The message of control that goes out to everybody has to be very clear. So it all gets um, concentrated on one individual. And this individual cannot receive any messages himself or he will lose his own sort of objectivity. He needs to be completely unemotional. Um, and uh, it, Burroughs describes him as, as eventually that person turns into this big black alien centipede that eventually gets killed and replaced with another person. So that's, that's sort of their model of control, is, is complete, model, uh, complete control, unemotional, very serious, very self-righteous, uh, more completely more of a conservative type of control than the the liquid liquefactionist. But the control is for the control's sake. You can't actually like beyond the idea of control. There's nothing else. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what he describes as as being very similar to junk, right? So people want junk for junk's sake. You know, it's not for it's not. Um, he points that out in other places that there's no opium cults. There might be mushroom cults or peyote cults or yage cults, but there's no opium cults because nobody thinks of it as a sacred plant. It's it's more of a it's more like money. He describes it as being quantitative, um, like money, profane. Um, so the 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 sender party is closest to the junk state. Um, so the liquefactionists are more like uh, psychedelic. Um, the senders are more like the, the junkie state. And then there's another party called the divisionists. And he describes these as, as kind of this halfway position. These guys are kind of moderates. Um, and their whole thing is they, they take off bits and pieces of themselves and grow replicas. And so they, they, they can produce millions and millions of replicas to the point where uh, they have to they have to sort of dress up and disguise their their replicas so that nobody realizes it's all the same person. Um, so the end of this control party is one person produces all the replicas of the world, right? Like a, his particular replicas win out over all the other replicas, um, and it, which is it's it's amazing. And and so these are the three parties. And if you look at it, how he presents it in the book, this is something that struck me this time: is that he starts with the liquefactionists, so that's L, yeah, and then he starts with the senders, and that's S, and then there's the, the divisionists, and that's D, <laughs> you know. Um, and he I, he writes about that afterwards in this, uh, it like in in the uh, his article in the uh, medical journal about how LSD sort of synthesizes the state that um, ayahuasca produces um, in his understanding. Like, this is a very sort of a early, early understanding of this. Um, but uh, he, was, he was opposed to LSD. He thought LSD was used as a, as a controlling agent. And he, he talks about that also in uh, Naked Lunch. Um, so these three parties, in a sense, it's it's all based on a perversion of the idea of oneness, you know, um, the society becoming one and using oneness as a means of control. And then this last party, the, the factualists, they're against all the other parties. They say replicas are a menace to life and uh, 
Um, there has to be a flexibility in this protoplasmic core. You can't just have it just being one thing. And then telepathy should always be a, a, a two-way street, not just one way, not, not just a transmission from above to below. Um, so, and then, and then all the way through the book in Interzone, um, there's all these different characters that he mentions. And uh, these characters are agents are of one or the other, or maybe two of these parties. Um, and they're all in competition with each other with, with various ends in mind. Uh, and nobody's neutral. There's a passage in there that, that people might portray themselves as being independent or neutral, but nobody really is in Interzone. It's all a matter of, uh, of one of these parties or the other. Um, so the, the, the factualists seem to be, in, in William Lee, he describes himself as being a member of the factualists, and they seem to be um, the most kind of reasonable party. But it's almost they represent a total absence of control, which means that uh, they wouldn't be an effective government at all. You know, they, they, I guess it would be a replacement for government, but uh, um, they don't really pose that much of a threat, it doesn't seem, to the, the three other parties. It's I I, I um, it's just fascinating to sit to I right out of the gate. I just want to say that, but it just I think the Wachowskis have to have read this book when they wrote oh, the Matrix. For, for sure, it, it was a huge influence on them. Yeah, undeniable since that point, you know, because the oneness that you're describing and it's like Mr. Smith comes into the Matrix and he's going to take it over and become this basically a maybe not a worm but some kind of yeah, totalizing he, he be, destructive he be, force he becomes a divisionist at one point he divides himself up to into yeah. uh, um, thousands of the, copies of himself and then that liquefaction becomes a drug just like we've talked about one of the quick thing and Doug, i hear you're breathing here. i just want to say this one thing this quote uh they are all stupid peasants and the worst of all peasants are the so-called educated um, again, I just I think there's something here where there's a real disdain for kind of masses here, and and um, you know I I I just I know we're talking about the inner zone, but just just I think this is what you described had me remembering this quote and then finding it that there's some kind and I and I don't think that's that's a, a ill place necessarily. I mean, when we talk about propaganda, we're always talking about about mass delusion, right? And the susceptibility of, of the mass, the collective, to fall under a spell, and he and he's very, I think, insight, insight. He's 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 dropping insight around that problem, that collective problem, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a passage at the at the end. Um, this is kind of I, it's the postscript that you read from in the uh, in the intro to the show, Doug. Um, there's a section in this is really interesting, especially for our, our earlier book clubs. Um, he's talking about all the different characters or different agents in the interzone. So he said, sooner or later, the vigilante, the rube, Lee the agent, AJ, Clem and Jody, the, uh, Clem and Jody, the Ergot twins, Hassan O'Leary, uh, he's an interesting one, the afterbirth uh, tycoon, the sailor, the exterminator, Andrew Keefe, I think Andrew Keefe was the Swedish guy in the uh, in the movie. Um, um, Fats Terminal, Doc Benway, Fingers Schaefer are subject to say the same thing in the same words to occupy at that intersection point the same position in space-time. 
using a common vocal apparatus complete with all metabolic appliances, um, that is to be the same person, a most inaccurate way of expressing recognition. And recognition is written with a capital R and in italics. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if he's referring to Gaddis or not. There are other sneaky um, literary references like that in here. But uh, um, so inaccurate way of expressing recognition, the junkie naked in sunlight. Um, and then this part, the writer sees himself reading to the mirror as always. He must check now and again to assure, assure himself that the crime of separate action is not, cannot occur. Um, so this idea, I think this comes out in um, uh, Thomas Pynchon as well, like this idea that uh, if you are um, saying the same thing in exactly the same uh exactly the same point than you uh, ex exactly the same point in time um, you become one with that whoever else is saying the exact same thing at the same time you know and and that's one create oneness you know like this idea uh, yeah the black windsock of death undulates over the land feeling smelling for the crime of separate life movers of the fear frozen flesh shivering under a vast probability curve um the liberal press and the press not so liberal and the press reactionary scream approval. Above all, the myth of other level experience must be eradicated and speak darkly of certain harsh realities, cows with the aptosa prophylaxis, power groups of the world frantically cut lines of connection. It's interesting, you're making me think of Arceline a little bit. I think there's a connection there too. He he was a huge fan of Celine, so there probably is, you know. Like, but what were you thinking? No, just the both the the color and the, the what you're evoking with those quotes. Yeah, he was Burroughs was an interesting character for sure. That I wanted to mention the movie a little bit because. The movie itself seems so kind of disconnected from the book in a lot of ways, but then in, in other ways it really captures the spirit of the book at the same time. Totally. Yeah, I see it as sort of a... It's, it's, not, it's not the naked lunch, this book at all, in a way, but it's, it's like an intertext to Burroughs' whole oeuvre. You know, yeah. Like a, and... and Bruce would always say that that he's he's just writing one book, like it's all part of one book, um, all of his all of his stuff that he's written. Um, so I, I I think it's like yeah. Um, well, did that you book, you read some of the Nova trilogy then? Yeah, I've read all of the, all of them because it feels really similar to me. I mean, so when you get into some of the more intense cut up stuff, it's it's definitely difficult, but. Uh, I mean, it, it's similar characters and similar scenes and things that are Simil similar ideas, right? Like yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I don't yeah, know. He... I I haven't done the later stuff. I was the Cities of the Red Knight. I was curious about that trilogy too. Mm, that's excellent too. It's it's more it's more readable. Um, but it's uh. 
it gets deeper into a lot of different things like e, uh, Egyptian mythology. Um, like I think that movie Under a Silver Lake, I haven't read this, but I just get the f feeling from watching that movie and then reading those books is that that the, that particular trilogy must have inspired that movie in a certain sense, you know, like this yeah, idea of the uh, the elite having these underground bunkers and hoping to hoping to um, get into the, the the western the western realm, the the, yeah. the realm of Amenti. Astro projecting, yeah. I, I um he was a, th a thelemite. I mean that's something that to uh, to mention here. I mean I don't know the extent of his membership, but I know he's heavily influenced by Thelema, and I, I think I read he was a thelemite. I think he was uh, on so the ground floor with uh oh Dianetics. What is that? Uh, the Scientology. Scientology too. Yeah. So like he, he was, was he, he was he was also um, psychoanalyzed by one of Freud's direct pupils. So he's like he's like the the grandson of Freud in a certain way, you know. Um, and then he was he was a student of of Korzybski, you know, like a um, yeah. so he, huge huge background that Burroughs had. Like he brought so much into it. Who was he a student of? Sorry, can you tell us uh, a little bit about him? Korzybski. Was so that the general uh, semantics? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, okay. so Korzybski's his biggest breakdown was sort of a non-Aristotelian way of looking at semantics or linguistics, so that we can never the word the the verb to be must always be um, under suspicion, you know, because uh -huh. uh, because words. Um, do not represent um, actual things in the real world. You know the 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 idea. Of the map is not it's the map is not the territory that comes from Korzybski, and that, that sort of boils down his idea. You know, um, so Burroughs would always have this idea. Like like Ginsburg talked about how he and Lucien Carr were having this huge argument about what is art, and they had these all different ideas of what art really means and they came to Burroughs to ask him about it and Burroughs was like this is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard you know art is just a word it can be whatever you want it to be <laughs> you know like you're just arguing about different things you know it's like <laughs> it could be all of these things that like you don't it, it, you could call it whatever you want fish or uh, who cares um, and th this is a problem that everybody's having these days and including me I get into this too I'm guilty of this is, is arguing about uh political terminology like uh what is capitalism what is socialism what is a liberal what is a conservative what is fascism. left what is right you know like uh, yeah fascism communism and all these things are just are just terms you know it's like it, it's, who cares about what we call these things we huge 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 points more and that kind of very much informs my politics too uh particularly on like the racialism that has kind of dominated discourse and and it's like these labels. It's like, you know, what are we really even talking about? It seems like boogeymen that have been invented. And that's kind of controversial, but against the backdrop of like critical race theory, you know, I think that's one of the things that gets right is it acknowledges the invention of racial category and kind of um, the politis, the politis, the, I can't even say it right now. I'm kind of fading here, but the politics that are kind of generated around. Uh, a, a color label um, and putting that then onto something that there's a there's a gap between it from the language and the label and to actually what's real and kind of the teeming 
vivacity or vibrancy. I think you said that earlier, uh, or, you know, of real life. And, and that's, that's disappointing to me that that's our world seems so, and not taking it out of the racialism, whatever the label is, it's like it craves certitude and definitiveness about what it's referring to when that never exists and that never will exist, you know? And so to interrupt that to me feels like make it new. It feels like a cut up. I mean, they, these are kind of the, in my view, the political upside to um, these kind of um, pushing the boundaries and, and tearing down language is that you get you, you, you begin to question everything about the linguistic, let's say, control structure or what some people call like the truth regimes of truth, you know, regimes of representation and truth that control structures rely on, like a, a static regime or a regime that can kind of uh, enforce its edicts as it were, it's truth, really. This is where you get into the postmodern stuff that I think is so important to understanding reality. And uh, they get rejected a lot, like, oh, that you're just a cultural Marxist. Well, hey, that that's, you know, actually read some of these guys. It's pretty radical stuff and rejuvenating and kind of life-affirming in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, it's like they get some, they get dismissed as being kind of radical relativists Right. And so that's uh, it, it just breaks down to anything goes, you know, and, and so postmodernism, like the sort of uh, false view of it is, is that it's just it's basically the perfect ideology for late stage capitalism. Right. So it's like, yeah, any, anything becomes a consumer item, you know, like junk or whatever it is. Um, but but they're way more than that. It's not. It's not a. It's not a total cultural relativism. It's. It's a. It's a means of looking at everything at once. You know, um, to, to, to take to take that perspective on. You know, which is just a completely different thing. It's not. It's not negating any perspective, but it's it, or or highlighting, but it's taking everything at once. I see it as a, a mecha, It's a method uh, or a system of engaging reality. Like yeah. You know, it reality. This system actually reflects how reality is flowing. It's more descriptive in a way of reality um, than it is to me anything else. And it seems to be accurate, accurately descriptive of, of how power functions in relation to truth. You know, and um, I love the late Foucault. And to bring Foucault, I, I'm a huge Foucault fan, and 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 the allegations against him and were disappointing to read about, um, for sure. Um, but, uh, and that came out earlier this year, I guess the art the new allegations, Tangier, I think Morocco, it might've it might, I don't know if it was Tangier exactly. It might've been, um, um, other cities in, in Northern Africa, Morocco in Morocco. But, um, the thing about Foucault is that in the late Foucault, he describes the great productive potential uh, and life-affirming potential of this postmodern project that you can kind of, basically, you get to vibe with what you want to vibe with. And there's a lot more creativity in terms of how we can construct identities that are functional for our individual sort of human, our impulse. You know, and so it, there's really an invitation for creative taking on the truths that you think might fit better. And I don't think I think there's a, the ethics, whatever your ethics are, can be overlaid there, you know, and kind of reconstituted. But 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 you get the method of critiquing the power 
and making sure that you're filtering power through an acknowledgement of basically key bono, who benefits, where's the money coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and acknowledging that that will create language and create systems of representation to kind of uh, make it flow better. We see that now with COVID. That's why I think the mind virus model, and I, and I bring that up again, not to get controversy for those out there that are more kind of buying more of the official narrative, but whatever it is, uh, there's, there's, I think it's undeniable again that there's this kind of media um, and um, all pervasive media uh, moment with, with COVID that I think we could consider like a, a regime of truth, let's say. Yeah, definitely. It, um, yeah, and, and I think, I think, uh, Burroughs entirely sort of anticipated postmodernism. Like it, in a way he was in the same sort of wave of that kind of thinking. And maybe, maybe it was Korzybski that sort of ultimately triggered it off, you know, but this idea that, uh, um, things can be detached from the references, uh, the reference, um, is, is such a huge step, you know, it's like, a if you can free yourself from that, then that's, Burroughs always repeats this through his, um, through his writings, like the words fall down, images fall down. Um, and that's the way, that's the way you can crack out of the, the control grid. Um, and I, 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 I think that's still the case, you know, like, um, cutting through, cutting through the propaganda, you know, that, that, uh, especially these terms now, um, that, that keep repeating through the media constantly, you know, like, um, um, really getting in there and, and, and cutting through these things and trying to break them down is, is the way to go. Yeah. Even like just, on, and this, we're getting controversial and I apologize if anybody out there, you know, it, it doesn't like this, but like even the, the concept of a vaccinated versus an unvaccinated class, because you mentioned, um, at some point, I think maybe even before the call that that's constantly morphing based on like even the company that made the shot that you took or the injection that you took, uh, how long ago it was, how up to speed you are on the injections given uh, by different companies. It's like, this is not a objectively true category. This category is informed by power, informed by, you know, the structures of power. Um, And then, and then the idea that even the definitions were changed, if you trace it back just the last 10 years, I think there's three big definitional changes of what that would even mean to be quote unquote vaccinated. And so it's a perfect example of like regimes of truth that are constructed for for the purpose of power and of like um, the exercise of power. That's just Foucault 101, you know, and yeah, definitely knowledge and power. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in this book, or at least in the, preface i forget where it is it, I, no i think it's actually in the the text of naked lunch um he's he's down uh Burroughs is down well i don't, I don't know the character of Burroughs. It, it's hard to say what what perspective is speaking here but he seems to be down on uh anti-vaccinationists in terms of the smallpox vaccine um and he's even he, he's even saying like one of the one of the countries represented by or uh, adjacent to Interzone or something uh, is um, has issued uh, mandatory vaccinations for smallpox, uh, the the smallpox virus. Um, 
but I think bros would have a completely different idea of what what's going on now <laughs> you know <laughs> like this seems the vaccines that exist now the so-called vaccines that exist now more align with bros's definition of what a virus is than than an actual vaccine i think and i i have a feeling that would be his perspective on things yeah even in just the, the business model and even how it's being talked about now and by the way the definition change is that it's anything that's injected into you that gives you protection against something. Whereas the old model was a dead or living version of an actual thing, the actual um, threat. And then you put well, that dead or living version in your body so that your body responds to it. Well, then it's um, very uh, just sorry. Okay, go ahead. I, go I, was, ahead. I was just going to make a joke like that. Then heroin applies as a vaccine, right? Because it protects yeah. you against pain. Yeah, no, it, exactly right. It's so broad that basically this just means, you know, you inject what's in the vial, shut up, don't ask questions. It's going to give you protection in some way, shape or form. Like that's the, the definition we're at now. And um, I think that that is very much like the jism, right, or the liquefaction that you're being fed in the matrix where there's this kind of collective human organism that is constantly being um topped off let's say with a substance that you know <laughs> it is it needs <laughs> and it's and it's 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 um ob, ob, uh, it's up to it's 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 obscure exactly what it's about no one really knows i mean i've never seen an ingredients list that's not even in the conspiracy world like it's so it, and it's 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 just strange. Yeah, I think Burroughs would think this is closer to what we've been talking about on this um, call, like earlier in the call of like a of a connecting kind of tissue that this MR these substances sort of become that mandated. Everybody takes it. Everybody's connected by it. Um, it's very strange. It's very very odd this time we're in. Um, and then you put over that to even like have this conversation, this might be disallowed. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a big part of it too, that it would be removed. Like if you, if we put this on YouTube, it might be removed, you know, just from what I've said there. And I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to be objective here, you know, so very strange. Um, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a book that just recently came out um by Allen Ginsberg um and it's basically a, like a compilation of of uh lectures that he did at Naropa um in Colorado um so it's called the best minds of my generation so he's talking about he's talking about Burroughs and uh Kerouac and Gregory Corso and all these different uh beat writers but some really good points on uh Burroughs and, and his whole idea um, so he has this one one part, he's talking about the cut-up method. He says, Burroughs suspected that the entire fabric of reality as we know it is completely conditioned. And he began suspecting that the conditioners, the people who were behind the conditioning, were running the entire universe. It is some, it's somewhat like an engineer running around a sound studio with lots of tapes, tape machines and film. It was a question of exploring along word lines and picture lines. In other words, tracing the words that you use and are implanted in your brain, 
tracing them back to where you first heard those words or where those words and images were coined to find the source of the image bank and who's, who's in control of it. He thought that maybe all senses, all visual impressions are superimposed on us. Um, so Sounds he, like then Plato. <laughs> yeah, we, and then, but then he says stuff like this. Like uh, He assumed, Burroughs assumed, that everybody was an agent at that point, not necessarily from the government, but actually an agent for a trust of insects from another galaxy. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, tracing along the word lines, he began examining notions of God and language. In Genesis, remember, in the beginning was the word. Burroughs wondered, who said that? Who laid the trip down? He took a Gnostic interpretation of that opening sentence. In the beginning was the word, and his conclusion was, rub out the word. If you examine Gnostic versions of the Bible and the Word, at, and the gar, uh, and the Garden of Eden, you'll find parallel notions to Burroughs' exterminating angel idea. In the beginning of Exterminator, you'll find that those are among the first and earliest explanations of cut-ups. It's it's so weird. I wanted to throw this out from Naked Lunch. He, there's a, a whole thing about mugwump and this fluid that I mugwump, guess you produce from from mugwumps. And that the addicts of that fluid are known as reptiles. And it really reminded me of like um, the whole thing that we have now with adrenochrome, these theories. I mean, I'm not even saying it's true, but the idea that you're extracting a substance from one group of humans and then you inject it to get a high or to like sustain yourself in another group. And the, of like where well, you're, you're saying off-world insectoids these are these were I, I felt like this was like a reptilian idea of of an exploitation of the human body to kind of feed i mean it does get kind of uh, at least symbolically uh connective to like some of the conspiracy theories that are out there you know and those flow back into gnosticism there's a lot of overlap with all of the with all of that uh discourse i don't say that to take it down i just say that that he was in this same uh, uh, field, at least in the same league, maybe if not the same ballpark as even yeah, someone like, like, like David Icke is a Gnostic. I think it, he's definitely got a lot of Gnostic ideas and he's talking about uh, you know, reptilians and the, um, the, the, the um, DMT folks talk about these beings that are kind of insectoids. They have all different beings. But a lot of those guys that have gone down the DMT rabbit hole are like, dude, there's these entities, man, and they're like trapping us here, you know, <laughs> and you can talk to them. And, um, so it's maybe there's some truth to this. I think maybe Burroughs is onto something. If he, I mean, if he's if he's hearkening back to actual Gnostic theory, we're we're getting ancient now. Well, this is th these these are the first cosmic conspiracy uh, conspiracy theorists are the are the Gnostics, right? Like that's. Uh, that's their idea that the uh, um, the God of the Old Testament was actually the anti-God. Um, so uh, yeah, he, he direct. There's a direct line from that to to Burroughs, and including people like uh, other pe people that we've looked at in in this uh, book club, like like Borges was into that idea too. Oh yeah. Um, um, and but, language. Uh, I mean, talk about language in Borges. The libraries. Remember that those stories and. <laughs> infinite books and i mean the garden of if, forking paths and yeah um it's Burroughs almost talks, as trippy as Burroughs, Burroughs or talks even about more that, trippy. Yeah. Burroughs talks about that that exact um phrase the garden of, of forked paths in in naked lunch and he's he's talking about that 
I think it's Benway who's who's speaking at that point, talking about the um, the techniques of sex humiliation that they can use to break down the the psyche. And he said, yeah, it's like the garden of fork, forking paths, you know, like all these different methods they they can use. Uh, all right. Well, I think I'm going to call it 42 minutes. I'm I'm falling apart. Doug, Doug, we haven't talked about the movie. Do you want to do you want to talk about your ideas of that? Oh, I think no. I mean, it's. I think I what I said was pretty much it. Just that Cronenberg uh, mixed both fiction and nonfiction biography into that to create something that felt like not the it, the essence of what the book was doing on some strange. So there's the agents are there, the bugs are there. There's some, you know, I don't, I mean, the, I wonder the, about the, the homosexuality. Yeah, yeah, the destruction of the word. The uh, the homosexuality feels more 90s to me than, than uh, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like there was something there that wasn't necessarily anything part of William Burroughs' life. Um like he was being tricked into being a homosexual by the agents or something, you know. Yeah, um, except in queer, he it was a big revelation to him that he was actually a homosexual. Um, and then he he does even write about in in uh, Naked Lunch, like homosexuality is the best possible uh, cover for an agent. Uh, <laughs> okay. I thought that was interested in the movie. This is a, a huge point. I think is a. It's, point like a genius point by Cronenberg like making um Jane Burroughs and oh, sorry Joan Burroughs and then Jane Bowles the same actress the same person same character you know and that that just fits those two stories together completely you know it's like uh, uh and and it's such a twist on both Bowles and Burroughs you know um so so Joan Burroughs is sort of reincarnated or um i don't know or divides or something as uh as jane bowles um but there is something oddly similar about so that's jane joan <laughs> yeah well bowles, the, the biography yeah. comes into it so when they were having that telepathic moment and ian holm is like we're not really saying these words i'm telepathically sending you you know i've been I mean, so that was one reading on why, you know, Jane fell apart, like psychologically, that, you know, perhaps. So the idea of the, the nurse with the voodoo tricks was definitely something, but then there's also this idea that, you know, maybe Paul wasn't a great spouse to her, mm. you know? That they were they were confidants, but they were also like their worst enemies too. At the same time, I mean, there's there's a strange competition between those two. Yeah, and then with uh, with Joan Burroughs, like she's hardly mentioned in in Naked Lunch, except for this one passage where uh, it says that she got seduced by a, a tea head like somebody who's into smoking pot oh yeah and uh and so burroughs is always saying there's there's this kind of puritanical 
um, junkie distaste of of potheads, and then uh, and then it doesn't even talk about the death of of uh, of Joan, but it just there's just one line that says, and afterwards in Tangier I found out that she had, she was dead, you know, and that's it, you know. But that was such a, a massive thrust of his whole thing. Like that's obviously that's why he had to escape from Mexico, but that that also set him to writing um, because that was his one outlet to try to resolve his emotions on, on, on that, whatever, whatever happened there. And you, there's a lot of different ways or there's a lot of different stories going with that episode. Ginsburg, Ginsburg thinks like Ginsburg visited him in, in Mexico too, when he was living, when both of them were living there. And he said at that point that Joan Burroughs was suicidal. So his idea at least at this point, when he's writing, like he's writing this back in the early seventies. Yeah, he said that um, uh, Joan was suicidal, and maybe she was using um, the William Tell routine as a way to uh, commit suicide. You know, like that's a that, that was her sort of way out. But like, who knows? Like, like Ginsburg might only be covering for for Burroughs. You know, like Ginsburg wasn't there when it happened. You know, in the movie it shows him watching it, but he wasn't actually there. Yeah. So, but then, yeah. then after that happens, he goes down to South America. He does ayahuasca, and then he uh, tries to cure his his junk sickness there, and then and then ends up in Tangier. Yeah, I was thinking so. I think about the same time I started into the Burroughs bio, then I uh, I watched the newest version of On the Road with. Uh, mm. But um, it's oh. supposed to suck a bit, does it? Or? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I, I it's just you see so many different versions of things, and you know, at some point, it's just like uh, remixes, I guess. But. Um, Oh, is uh, the Lord of the Rings King uh, Vol? No, what is his name? I can't think of the actor's name. What the um, uh, Aragorn? You mean Aragorn? Yeah, who plays Aragorn? Um, uh, <laughs> I'm spacing on the name right now. I should know it. Nico <laughs> Morrison. There yeah, we yeah, go. Yeah. That's where my V was coming from. <laughs> um, he plays William Burroughs in that version and Amy Adams plays well. Joan Fulmer but it was just really interesting because like they all kind of wrote in that style of um, just taking their own character and removing it like one step from reality you know like giving it a different name and you know just changing it just a touch yeah he writes some um, Kerouac writes about meeting Burroughs in Tangier in Desolation Angels. And this is a this is a really interesting passage too. He's he's like, I'll leave the book for readers to see Nude Supper. All about if he calls it Nude Supper instead of Naked Lunch. And Naked Lunch was um Kerouac's title. Like he, he came up with that, but in in this book at least he calls it Nude Supper. All about shirts turning blue at hangings, castration and lime, great horrific scenes with imaginary doctors of the future, tending machine catatonics with negative drugs so that they can wipe the world out of people 
but when that's accomplished and the mad doctor is alone and with a self-operated self-tape recording, he can change or edit at will. But no one left, not even Chico, the albino masturbator in a tree, to notice whole legions of shitters patched up like bandaged scorpions, something like that. You'll have to read it yourself. It's so horrible. <laughs> it's so horrible that when I undertook to start typing, it, neat, it neatly double-spaced for his publishers the following week. I had horrible nightmares in the roof room, like of pulling out endless balonies from my mouth, my very entrails, feet of it, pulling and pulling out of the horror of what bulls saw and wrote. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he said, uh, <laughs> so he's asking him questions. Like he, uh, Kerouac is asking uh, Burroughs questions about it. But why all the vile room? Like R H E U M. I'm shitting out my educated Middle West background for once and for all. It's a matter of catharsis where I say the most horrible thing I can think of. Realize that. The most horrible, dirty, slimy, awful, awful, niggardliest posture possible. By the time I finish this book, I'll be as pure as an angel, my dear. These great existential anarchists and terrorists, so-called, never even their own drippy fly mentioneth, dear. They should poke sticks through their shit and analyze that for social progress. But where will all that shit get us? Simply get rid of shit. Really, Jack. He whips out. It's 4 p.m. The afternoon's ap aperitif cognac bottle. We both sigh to see it. Bull has suffered so much. <laughs> and so this goes back to why is he talking about all the, uh, the crazy uh, sex and whatever, like all the, the ugliest thing he can think of, right? And it's, he, it's cathartic, you know? He has to, in a, in a certain way, get getting rid of his shit. Yeah, that's clear that, I mean, you read it and you're like, he, he turned this stuff up like to 10 or to 100. After page, but my thing wasn't that side of it. It was more of like knowing that there's probably an underlying truth to some of, some of what was going on in the personal life. Oh, for sure, and, yeah. Like, and this gets into, like, Nambla and the Ginsburg and Nambla, that affiliation. Like, there's a whole thing with the beats that um, – and I, we're kind of now back to where we, I started. But, I mean, that's um, – it, it's, you know, I'm just I'm just saying, yes, yeah, it's clear that in this book he's like, let me make that, – that execution scene, Doug, that you mentioned. I think that's right around when I stopped reading. I was like, shit, I can't read, like, a – because it's a boy – it's like a boy that he he's like he rapes this boy and while he's things. hanging and it's like Jesus Christ this is a, this is just it, that was like level a hundred and the chapter before that level ninety nine and that was just it was just too much he took it too far for my senses uh, at that at that particular time but <laughs> I, I was reading uh, sorry I was watching this old silent film Italian silent film of uh, Dante's Inferno. It's really good. Like I, I um, it's called L'Inferno or something like that. It's 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 well worth watching, but uh, and it's it's pretty close to um, the actual poetry, Dante's poetry in a certain way. Like it's uh, condensed, of course, right? But uh, but 
in a, in a sense, like I was watching that and then reading this book, and it's like that's what Burroughs is is writing about. He's writing about the infernal. You know, he's not writing about uh, paradise or even purgatory. He's he's writing about uh, he's writing about a hell. Um, and then that goes our back hell. to our hells and or he's writing about 2021 and our hell. That's what I think. Well, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like, uh, um, and this goes back to what, uh, well, his hell too, you know, it's not, it's not only happening now, it was happening then. Um, sure, sure. And, I just, and, I was, uh, it was kind of a tongue in cheek comment. I just, I just think the prescient, I'm just underscoring that again, well, that there's something yeah, yeah, transcendent sure. here, I guess is what I'm saying with, with what that, he's describing a human condition or something. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. That goes back to um, uh, um, Ezra Pound as well. Like Ezra Pound um, was talking about that in the all the all the way through the, in the Cantos. Like his idea of the Cantos is, it's a new sort of divine com- uh, comedy, in which those three states, um, hell, purgatory, and heaven, exist simultaneously within the mind and within the world. You know, it's not it, they're not transcendent spaces outside of the world or outside of the mind. They exist right here right now um and so uh you read there are passages in the in the cantos that read a lot like burroughs as well like just the 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 so-called hell cantos um but there are elements of that all the way through the cantos but but the thing that that isn't so much in burroughs is that uh the the paradise side like um pound really struggled to come up with a paradise with, with a viable view of what paradise is or what could be but in burroughs um, he he didn't so much have the image of paradise, although some of the prose itself is so rich, like it it taps into that. I think. And All right. Kerouac, I think, is what just I was going to say earlier. Kerouac is more of the paradise side when the like the beautiful Godhead and all of the stuff he's writing about. But sell sell paradise, sell paradise, right? Yeah. Sell paradise, yeah, perfect. I think I have to go to bed, but this was fun. Thanks. Okay, yeah, it was fun. Right, that that was 42 minutes? Oh, well, I think it was an hour and a half, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just trying to... I was waiting for your line, Doug. Like, that was 42 minutes? You can find this, you know, just like... I, I was kind of... Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the man who taught his asshole to talk? Yeah, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Something about moving his abdomen and farting out words, and he grows teeth, and then, you know, the head basically gets detached. I mean, that's that's a huge, huge part of his whole thinking as well, but we'll let that go. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, we'll... uh, All right, gents. After we talk, I always want to return to it and get back into it, but... Anyway, uh, thanks. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jam and hit the bed hit the bed here. So I I will see you talk. We'll talk soon. Okay, peace out. Okay. Yeah, see right. you guys. Okay. Okay. Bye bye.